My sister scoffed at me when about two months ago, I told her that I was obsessed with the musical Hamilton. Hamilton is the wildly popular Broadway musical which creatively retells the founding of the nation through rap and hip-hop. My sister scoffed at me because, as per usual, I'm a couple of years behind on the latest trends. <laughs> One of my favorite songs from the Hamilton soundtrack is called Satisfied. This song reveals the secret longing that Angelica Schuyler harbors for Alexander Hamilton. In the song Satisfied, Hamilton introduces himself to Angelica by saying, You're like me. I'm never satisfied. Angelica responds, Is that right? And then Hamilton says, I have never been satisfied. Throughout the song, we see Angelica process her love and longing for Hamilton, who ends up marrying her sister, Eliza. At the same time, we catch glimpses of Hamilton's restless spirit and Hamilton's own confession of his difficulty with finding satisfaction. The song ends rather hauntingly with Angelica saying, He will never be satisfied. I will never be satisfied. These lyrics are captivating because they ring true to a core part of the human experience. A consuming restlessness, longing, and hunger of the body and soul, which is not easily satisfied. Augustine explains this aspect of the human condition in his own way. He says, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you especially in the ups and downs of my 20s when I have experienced the unexpected death of loved ones, romantic relationships which did not work out, and grappled with the uncertainty of my future. I know what it is like to feel unsatisfied and restless, to deeply hunger and long for meaning, experiences, and relationships I do not currently have. On my worst days, I am tempted to think, like Hamilton and Angelica, I will never be satisfied. What about you? Have you experienced the most human of human conditions, a restless wandering or painful emptiness? an existential longing and hunger, which both the rich and poor, powerful and powerless, can't seem to escape from? Does your hunger or longing ever scream inside of you for something to come and save you, something to come and fill your desires? The very basic human question I want us to wrestle and engage with this morning is, can we be satisfied? 
Can our deep hunger be filled? Before we open to our scripture passage, please bow your heads to pray with me. God, we come to you as a hungry and wandering people. And we come to ask you, will you satisfy us? Can our hunger be filled? Please open up your word so that we have more understanding of who you are and who you have created us to be. By your spirit and through your word, feed us, Lord Jesus. Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to Mark 6, verses 30 through 44. As I read the passage aloud, feel free to close your eyes and imagine that you yourself are a part of the story, a first-hand witness to everything that is going on. Close your eyes and then use your senses to help you imagine the story and the scene as I read it aloud. The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, Come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a deserted place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. As he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now very late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy something for themselves to eat. But Jesus answered them, You give them something to eat. They said to him, Are we to go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves have you? Go and see. When they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he ordered them to get all the people to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And all ate and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. Those who had eaten the loaves numbered five thousand men. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Wow, the Gospels, the four narrative accounts of Jesus' life found in the New Testament, are truly incredible. 
They allow us to get to know Jesus intimately as we get to hear what he said and taught to all sorts of people. As we get to learn about the details, about the miracles he performed, and observe the ways he engaged in human relationships. This particular passage gives me so much hope in the midst of my own deep longing because it is about hungry and lost people who encounter Jesus and are filled. The feeding of the 5,000 reveals Jesus as someone who can engage compellingly with the original question that we raised, can we be satisfied? In the midst of our hunger and longing to be satisfied, this miraculous story about the feeding of the 5,000 gives us four pieces of good news about God to cling to and to hold on to. First, God is compassionate towards his sheep. Second, God feeds his people and always has. Third, God is a very good host. And finally, from God's body, we will be consistently filled. Verse 34 reveals God's compassion. As he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus and his disciples were trying to spend some time alone together to debrief their time of being sent out to do ministry, and most likely, to grieve the death of their friend, John the Baptist, who had just been beheaded. They intentionally went away to a deserted place so they could be alone. This reminds me of one of the reasons I love going to where my parents live currently in Seal Beach, because I don't really know anyone in the area. (laughs) Wherever I go, chances are, I won't run into anyone I know, and my introverted self won't be forced to make small talk in the grocery store or at a coffee shop. It's kind of nice to get away to a deserted place where I can be anonymous and to be with those closest to me, especially when I'm trying to process something. Even though Jesus and his disciples had a plan in mind to debrief alone, and were still reeling from their grief, when confronted with the crowd's need, instead of shooing them away or ignoring them or saying he just didn't have the time or the energy, Jesus has compassion on them because he understands that they are like sheep without a shepherd. The original hearers would have recognized the sheep without a shepherd phrase as coming from the mouth of Moses, when Moses demonstrated his own compassion in Numbers 27, asking for a successor to be appointed after him so that Israel would be cared for and not like sheep without a shepherd. The shepherd imagery gains further color for our story 
when Mark mentions in verse 39 that they were told to sit on the green grass. The green grass isn't just a random detail that Mark wanted to include. It is supposed to bring to mind Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Note that it is not necessarily their physical hunger that excites Jesus' compassion. It is their need for a teacher. Jesus intuitively understands that it is not just physical hunger that the crowds are dealing with. They are also in desperate need of spiritual food. Jesus teaches them first, and then he feeds them. Jesus wants to satisfy both our physical hunger and our existential hunger for meaning, purpose, and abundant life. Many Christian traditions throughout history have fallen into the trap of either over-spiritualizing salvation, separating Jesus' message from matters of the body and social justice, or under-spiritualizing salvation, focusing on social justice and the body to the utter neglect of Jesus and spiritual matters. Thankfully, this passage demonstrates that Jesus' compassion towards us extends to the whole of our lives, both physical and spiritual. The second piece of good news we glean from this story is that God feeds his people and always has. Many elements of of this feeding miracle in Mark hearken back to stories in the Old Testament when God miraculously fed his hungry people. In the Exodus, when the Israelites escaped from slavery in Egypt and were wandering in the wilderness, they started to complain and grumble to God because they were hungry. God heard their cry and literally rained down manna, bread from heaven, every morning and gave them quail at twilight. There are also clear links between Jesus' miracle in Mark and Elisha's miracle from 2 Kings, when Elisha feeds a group of prophets from 20 barley loaves and ears of grain. Jesus is the same God as the Old Testament, a God who sees that his people are hungry and who then feeds them. I share an office with two of my coworkers who also happen to be my friends. And so we have shared many lunches and snacks together. They are both Korean and have shared with me on multiple occasions that the question, did you eat, is their mom's way of saying, how are you? <laughs> so when my coworkers come home or call their parents on the phone, They tell me that the first thing their mom will ask is, did you eat? Are you eating enough? And the last thing their mom will say is, do you want to bring food home? And they won't take no for an answer. I asked my coworker, Daniel, 
why he thought that was. And he said that a lot of his parents' generation grew up in the aftermath of the Korean War, so there was not a lot to eat. So a way of caring for one another was to ask if you had eaten. I was struck by the obvious care and compassion behind this question and think that God, like my friend's moms, is always asking his children, did you eat? Are you hungry? The third piece of good news, which this story reveals about God, is that Jesus is a good host. As a figurative host of the desert dinner party, Jesus is warm and hospitable, welcoming of all, and goes above and beyond to make sure his guests' needs are met. In thinking about Jesus as the host of that unexpected dinner party in the desert, we are reminded of other imagery in both the Old and New Testament, which paint a picture of the messianic banquet at the end of the age, where Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah, will preside as host. The feeding of the 5,000 is a tantalizing foretaste of this heavenly banquet, where everyone will sit down at the table in the kingdom to come and be fed by Jesus. The fourth and final piece of good news we glean from this story is that from God's body, we will be consistently filled. The language that is used in verse 41 should sound familiar to us. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. It is not a coincidence that blessed, broke, and gave are the same words that Jesus used at the Last Supper with his disciples and the same words that the early church used in the liturgy for the Lord's Supper and the same words we use today as we approach the communion table. Out of God's abundance and through Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus' body and blood are broken and given for us so we can be filled week after week. When I was studying abroad in Jerusalem, my friend Julie and I both struggled to grasp the bitter conflict between Israelis and Palestinians that was the focus of our semester. It was a harrowing and painful time for us, but we would always look at each other in our darkest moments and say, it's going to be okay. God will feed us on Sunday. Through the partaking of his body and blood, week after week in a foreign land, we were powerfully filled up again and again and began to rely on this practice as essential to our Christian life. To conclude, let's circle back to our original question. Can we be satisfied? On my darkest days, 
when I am tempted to say, like Hamilton and Angelica, I will never be satisfied. I have to remember that I am a poor wandering sheep who has a good and compassionate shepherd. I have to remind myself that no matter how far I have strayed, no matter how many times I complain of hunger, no matter if I am lost in the wilderness of my life like the Israelites and the crowds, God will feed me. In my moments of deepest longing, I also can find hope that God is the best host, a host who meets me every time at the communion table so I can partake of his body and blood and be filled. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ has ever made sense to me and has ever filled me. Only a God who would feed his people time and time again, who says, I see you, I see you're hungry, let me feed you. And then a God who invites us into the vocation of feeding the world. This is the only life that satisfies. And so we, the church, are a hungry people who come to our Lord's table to be satisfied. And then from the abundance that has been left over, we are given the amazing task to feed the world. May we feed the hungry, may we feast on Jesus, and may we forever be satisfied. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.